0: So let's put that in perspective. From early January, the Standard Poor's 500 stock index is now down 19.63%, or almost to a bear market level. But as recently as mid October, as I mentioned, from there, it's up 7.53%. If we go back to the market bottom in 2020, which some of us really old people can remember all the way back about two and a half years ago, the market is up 72.18%. And if we go back to three years ago, just before the pandemic, it's up 24%. The market has risen. 24% 24% in three years. That That is good. That is really, really, really good. That's over 7% a year. And yet the surveys across the board indicate that investors think the market is down. That is backwards, folks. If you're a trader, the market's down. If you're an investor, the market is up. That's the reality of where we are.
1: Once more unto the breach, dear
0: friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. McClure. Together we are bald, and we are here to talk to you about the bald truth. I don't know if that was actually a very good, maybe bald-faced hornets some other bald things as well. There aren't that many pleasant bald things. So (sighs) sorry, the two unpleasant bald people will be talking to you today about the market. I did want to bring up a couple of things right before we jump in. The Federal Reserve is often quoted as having raised rates or lowered rates, but what actually happens in the meeting is a little bit more important than just the interest rates charged to banks for overnight lending. They've also picked up the task of doing repurchase agreements, which is another version of making loans to banks. And for some reason, the repurchase agreements and the overnight lending rates are identical at the moment. So We used to have a different rate for those. There's a little piece that most of you don't care about. The pieces that you will care about are that the Federal Reserve is still selling 60 billion, with a B, dollars of U.S. Treasury securities every month and $35 billion of mortgage-backed securities every month. Um, That's a big, big, large, large amount of money. Now, you would think that, what, $60 billion a month since July – haven't they gone a long ways to removing uh, how much they have on the sheets, how much they have in on their balance? They had in April just under $9 trillion, with a T dollars on the balance sheet at the Federal Reserve. So $60 billion a month is going a long ways toward bringing that down. But when you've got right under $9 trillion, they're now at about $8.5 So they've come down about $500 billion, which makes sense if they're selling about $95 billion a month for the past five months. Their balance sheet is actually showing up the right way. So there, there's $500 billion less money in the economy than there was on these things. So this is One of the things that they're doing is they're trying to soak the the money out of the economy that they were dumping into the economy during the bad times of the recession. That's part of how they soak up recession is they have less money easily available. When they're selling $35 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities, it means that there's less money available to loan for houses, which is why we've seen the interest rates on mortgages go up from the low point. Uh, of just over a year ago. Uh, so, th- those are the big pieces of information. People kind of lose track of it. If you go back to like March of 2020, when things were real bad, you can say that you have to add extra syllables to bad when things are really bad. Um, uh, in March, they bought $200 billion of mortgage backed securities in one month. They bought $500 billion worth of Treasury-backed uh, securities in one month. The same month, they spent $700 billion. Just as a reference point, if you remember, do you remember the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP, during the Great Recession? Congress do remember it? Yeah. I
0: remember it very well.
1: Yeah, Congress passed this bill as a big bailout for the United States economy for $700 billion. We didn't actually wind up spending all of that, but it helped us avoid a Great Depression. The Federal Reserve did that much in one month in March of 2020 in buying up assets to prevent us from going into a different kind of recession that was pandemic brought on. They continued to buy mortgage-backed securities in the tune of, of $40 billion a month for uh, about a year and a half. And now they're going over, you know, there was about a year where they weren't doing anything. They said, we're not buying and we're not selling. We're just rolling over what's maturing. And now they're at a point where they're selling and that's not going to stop for a while. The Federal Reserve, I'm, Go. what were you going to say?
0: I didn't want to explain what that meant, but when you're done. Okay, yeah, go ahead. That's that's what I had to say about it. Well, there's a meaning to this. Uh, Martin Friedman Is famous for having said Milton that Milton Friedman, I'm sorry, Milton Friedman is famous for having said that inflation is every always and everywhere a factor of money supply. That's not necessarily true anymore because supply and demand have a tremendous effect on that. But you could come back to the fact that supply simply means there's too much money chasing too little something else. So the price goes up. Now it could be the too little something else that's the issue, and it was in this case. But in order to avoid a depression being generated by the pandemic, a lot of money went into the economy. More than that, though, that was that was really a that's a, that's a political focus. And and for those of you who think that somehow the government created inflation by the stimulus programs that were here in the United States, which yes. by the way were not existed in europe or great britain right we have lower inflation than the united kingdom or or european the european continent right now we have lower inflation and we had the stimulus programs and they did not what the difference is our economy is in much better shape than theirs because we did have the stimulus programs we're not coasting into recession with absolute certainty they're probably already in recession both of those places um. So, in this inflation was clearly not caused by the U.S. money supply. Oh, by this, the way,
1: well, let, let me throw this out there. So, there are people that blame President Biden for inflation, and there well, are people who, that blame President Trump for inflation. And they're right, equally. If you're diehard, yeah, go ahead.
0: If you're a diehard Republican, it's obviously Biden's fault, and if you're a diehard Democrat, it's obviously Trump's fault.
1: And and both of those both pre- of those cases presidents presided over massive amounts of stimulus.
0: So it's actually not true that either of them caused it. That's the point I want to make. The issue is if the U.S. stimulus program had caused inflation, we would have high inflation in the United States and they would not have inflation in Europe or the United Kingdom. They're having much higher inflation there and they didn't have a stimulus program. They're also having a recession, which we're not having right now. And, because we did have a stimulus program. So let put that aside for a minute. It wasn't the money supply that caused this particular bout of inflation. What caused this particular bout of inflation was the fact we had a pandemic. It wasn't because the government was causing people to wear masks or shutting down businesses or anything else. People chose to stay home far more than they were required to stay home. And when they stayed home, they didn't go to restaurants and eat out. They didn't go to movies. They didn't buy what we call services.
1: And just to give you now, a quick number on that, the personal savings rate prior to the pandemic was running around 9%. That that personal savings rate had been relatively flat, but coming up, so running about 7% up to 8.5% to 9% since about 2015. So people were saying, all right, I'm doing well, I'm putting my money away, I'm sp- I'm not going to spend this money, I'm going to put it away. That's a relatively high savings rate compared to like the early two thousands, which was down in the three percent, two to three uh, percent, for for most of the decade that started in two thousand, the aughts um, or the knots or the ought knots. Um, there wasn't a lot of savings rate there. Uh, in the the following decade, after the Great Recession, we were running about 7% to 8%. And then the pandemic hit, and our savings rates spiked up to about 33%, 34%. We were holding on to money. Well, why? Well, you couldn't spend it. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go to the restaurants. You couldn't
0: buy cars. You couldn't do just about anything. Now back to you. Well, what happens anytime people are scared, they also hang on to money. They build up their savings. And they do this during recessions. They do this during war. Uh, This is what people do. And we did it. And now that jobs are plentiful, because we have a booming economy, unlike the United Kingdom, again, unlike the United Kingdom, where unemployment is really high, and so is inflation. And in Europe, where unemployment is really high, and so is inflation. And in China, where we really don't understand what's going on with inflation, but unemployment is really high.
1: The reason why we don't because know is because they don't tell us.
0: We, uh, we're we in this situation where jobs are plentiful, pay is good. Uh, one of the reasons that the layoff numbers, which we haven't reported on much recently because they are not really telling us very much, the layoff numbers which we get from people applying for unemployment. People are not applying for unemployment because when they get laid off, and you've, if you've been following what's going on in the economy, the big tech firms are laying off tens of thousands of people every week Why is this not showing up in the unemployment figures? Why is this not showing up in the uh, applications for unemployment insurance? Because they're getting hired the next day by somebody else. And this is a key point generally for more than they were being paid before. This is what the Federal Reserve is concerned about. Now, why is this going on? Because we bought a lot of stuff and we jammed up the supply chain because we were buying a lot of stuff because we weren't buying services, which caused the prices of those things to go up. And lo and behold, when we came out of the pandemic, uh, not not in force, but we decided to go back and start being social again and getting back into society again and getting people back into our houses again. We had a big reserve of money and a big desire to go out to eat and to go to movies and to get our houses fixed up. And here's another one. To go to the hospital and get that elective surgery or their non-critical medical treatment that we deferred during the pandemic. So this huge demand is, is hitting on the services side at this point. It's still hitting. And it will continue to hit for a while because we've got a lot of catch-up to do. We've got a lot of people who didn't go out to eat much and they didn't do whatever much. And they're traveling a lot more. The uh, airlines are noticed that leisure travel is up dramatically. Business travel is not up. It's down because people are doing Zoom instead of traveling for business. But what is up is not only people are traveling a lot for leisure, they're asking for the more expensive seats because they have the money to pay for it. They're asking for legroom. Uh, the the airlines are having to readjust their marketing. They're having to readjust everything. They're doing well. They're having a lot of people traveling, but they're astonished it's not the business traveler that has become their bread and butter. It's the leisure travel traveler that's becoming the bread and butter, and those are all labor intensive operations. You can't do those over the internet. You have to have somebody to fly the airplane, to fix the airplane, to maintain the airplane, to be at the, to take the, check the luggage, to do all the things that have to be done. These are labor intensive and we don't have enough people to do this. So the prices are going up. How long will this last? Probably into sometime next year. And at that point, you will start to see the services prices start to come down.
1: Yeah, and how do we know that? Well, we were telling you about the personal savings rate that spiked up there for a month at 34%. Um, We had that during the lockdown. We had um, the lowest during the lockdown rate was at 14%, which is more than double what we were seeing prior prior to the pandemic. It's now at 2.3%. That doesn't mean that we're not keeping – some money in the bank, but we are starting to drop on the amount of money we have out there. There's another metric that we follow called the M2. It's part of the money supply. Um, and the money supply numbers aren't updated as regularly as I wish they they would be. Uh, but uh, as of the end of October, there was $21,346,000. Billion dollars sitting out there in savings deposits, money markets, small denomination time deposits, CDs—that uh, uh, sort of stuff is part of m M two. It's basically how much cash do we have in the banks? Um, and we're down to twenty one trillion from twenty two trillion back in April of twenty two. So, w- what is that? It means that we're down about a trillion dollars in our savings, but our savings are at a massively higher amount than what we normally have. Pre-pandemic, we had about $15 trillion in the bank, and now we've got about 21. Well, we peaked out at 22. So uh, we're coming back down, and we can see it's dropping about a, a trillion dollars at this current spending rate a year. A little less than a year, which is gonna bring us down to where we're getting uncomfortably low in our savings and we won't be spending as fast. Now we we have a question waiting for us. Did you have something you want to say to wrap that up?
0: Yeah, I wanted to uh, say that psychology is very, very important here. When people get when when the economy is doing well and jobs are plentiful and people have savings accounts that are too big, collectively we tend to to shrink our savings accounts back down to the point where we begin to feel uncomfortable. We get back to the mild discomfort level and stop spending. And until that hits, and by the way, there's two things, depending on who you are, that will create that you're going to spend down. If you're a more wealthy person or a more conservative person or an older person, it's the size of your savings accounts, your money market funds or whatever. If you're younger or in a lower socioeconomic bracket, it's the balance on your credit card. When the balance on the credit card gets high enough that the payments become uncomfortable, you stop using the credit card wildly. When your savings accounts, if you're older or more conservative, get down to the point where you look at the amount of money you have in reserve and you begin to get a little bit uncomfortable, you bring your spending back down. And this is what, this is why we get recession. One of the reasons we get recessions, by the way, we go from wild spending. We don't stop at the medium. We overspend a little bit because there's a lag between the time you spend money and the time you see your account statement, whether it's a credit card statement or a bank statement. You realize, whoa, that account is down or up, depending on whether you're using credit or uh, savings, more than I'm comfortable with. So I'm going to stop. So what happens we spend a little too much. We put a little more surge into the economy, which we've been doing, and then we stop. And I think we may have seen the breaks go on this month because retail spending fell six-tenths of 1% from October to November. People spent a lot of money in October on Christmas. They bought early. And they have really slacked off since yeah. then. Retail it, it spending could be,
1: dropped It month could be the month. fact
0: that Thanksgiving was a little early this year, and so Black Friday was a little early this year. But I think what we're seeing, and we're seeing prices across the board on the retail side, on the good side, declining. Not... It's not just that inflation is backing off. Services will follow. People will go out to eat less. They will have gotten their home repairs done or will get them done in the near future. They'll look at their bank account and say, Well, that's down to the point where I'm beginning to feel just a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to stop spending twenty thousand on this or ten thousand on that.
1: And we're seeing that anecdotally through our clients. Yeah, it's it's showing up in the big numbers and it's showing up in the little numbers so that this is good news, even though it sounds like bad. Bad news is good news and good news is bad news. At this point, we have two, have two questions. Um, Inquisitor John at the end of last hour said, historically, what are the impacts of recessions on individual psychology toward investing? If people are not prepared for the fact that recessions are real and they happen, it can have a lasting impact on their ability to want to invest. Um, Throughout my career, I'm sure throughout yours, I've run into people who just they think that the stock market or any market at all is rigged and they don't want to be part of it because they lost so much money in it in the last fill in the blank. And what it means is that education is important here, but the psychology is strong. When people are burned badly in a recession, burned badly in in investing, and they get out at the bottom, which a lot of people do, they are extremely reluctant to get back in, and they generally only get back in when they're at the top of the market, which sets them out up to be burned once more when the market tanks so it, it is a simple answer people really should be diversified and really should get some education before jumping into the market unfortunately
0: there's not an easy way to do that I want to I want to balance something here we we've, we've said a lot of things about the economy slowing down and it is slowing down retail sales did drop But I can tell you, if you go back to 2019, retail sales are still up substantially from where they were in 2019. Matter of fact, if you did a projection from 2019 of the growth we've seen over the last 20 years or so, we're right there. In other words, as things return from hyperactive to normal, it's going to look depressive. It's not. Now, the Federal Reserve is capable of making it into a depressive situation, and that's what people are afraid of. But in fact, the United States economy is in excellent condition. Housing prices, as Jake mentioned, in Austin have gone flat. In some places, housing prices have started to decline. It's very unlikely they will decline all the way back to where they were in 2019. So again, the issue at this point, just like it is in the stock market, if you look back three years and you look to where we are today, we're in excellent condition. If you look back to the surge, both in investing and in spending, that occurred following the pandemic, We've come down from that, but we needed to come down from that. As a result, I'm fairly optimistic going forward. The one, there's, there's two big wild cards. One, the Federal Reserve might raise interest too high, too fast, and actually put us into a severe recession. They've done that before historically, but I think we've got a Federal Reserve that's smart enough to know not to do that. Second thing we could that could happen is uh, to give you a wild example: China could invade Taiwan. Or Russia could start using nuclear weapons on Ukraine. That would cause some bad things to happen in the economy and in the stock market. There's no way of predicting those. But I'm optimistic based on what I see. And it's the end of the hour. And we have got to end our week.
1: And we're about out of time.
0: This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake
1: McClure. Uh, This is the Personal Wealth Coach. And we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program, it's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What
0: would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right.
1: That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is. And it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time. And we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also <clears throat> have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another
0: disclosure? Yes. information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: And he really can't get through the week without that. I think. Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally And portfolio for, management. And portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at...
0: 254 947 1111.
1: You can reach that line tool free at 1 800 914 7526. That's 800 914 plan. And I think it's
0: important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are Uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.